us to dive into the book of Acts here, chapter 2. Stand with me, if you will. We're going to read. And we're going to talk about Peter preaching the greatest message that's ever been preached. The greatest message is on the day of Pentecost. And man, when you, you, get, you realize Peter was a fisherman, right? He wasn't a theologian. And he lays out four proofs of the resurrection. Something that, that maybe a scribe or a Pharisee or a Sadducee would know or someone like that in the religious hierarchy. Not an everyday fisherman. But because Peter loved Jesus, he was saved, filled with the Holy Spirit. He was able to do things that he otherwise could not do in his own strength. And in this message, in beginning, beginning in verse 22 of Acts chapter 2, it says, Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God, remember we talked about that two weeks ago, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken, therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. So fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. So he's quoting David in the 16th Psalm. And he's saying, this is what David said. But David's not talking about this about himself because his bones are still here. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah. That he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit in my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore... Let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for the word. Thank you for your truth. There's a lot here. I want to make it as simple as I can. Help us apply it to our lives and see that he lives. He's alive. He's working. He's moving. And he's not finished with us yet. And I prayed in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now remember, this is the day of Pentecost. This is the day that the church 
came into being. This is the day that the Holy Spirit, the promise of Jesus that the Holy Spirit would come, the Comforter would, would come. And they experienced this marvelous experience, you know, um, of what happened. And 120 of them were in a room, and the Holy Spirit came upon them like tongues of fire. And they began to speak in other languages. And it was a sign to unbelievers that this was truly of God. And all of a sudden, they received power when the Holy Spirit came upon them. And others from around started hearing what was going on in that room, in that house. And a crowd gathered. And so Peter got up and he started to speak to them. And we dealt with some of that here a couple of weeks ago. But then we pick it up here. And if you look at this passage, you see four proofs that he gives of the resurrection. This entire passage is about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's trying to explain to the Israelites who are, who are experiencing this and seeing this, and he's saying to them, look, you're seeing all these people, you're seeing them speak in a language that they don't even know. You're seeing boldness upon them. This isn't an accident. Huh. The prophet Joel said this, and you're seeing it this very day. The Holy Spirit isn't living anymore in a place called the Holy of Holies. The veil was torn from top to bottom to represent that, that God isn't separated from man by, you know, in a building or in a room. And it's not just some high priest that can go and communicate with God. That now the Holy Spirit is given to all who believe, to anyone who comes to Him, Jew, Gentile, or what have you. And that's what he's preaching. And in so doing, he wanted to remind them that this Jesus not only died, but He is alive today. And he lays out the proofs for it. The first proof we see of the resurrection here that I want you to see is, number one, the person of Jesus Christ himself. Jesus himself is the first proof of the resurrection. He says here in verse 22, as we read just a moment ago, and he says, look, you see, you see for yourselves, you know this, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. God had a plan. And you with with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on the cross. And again, this is what we focused on two weeks ago. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it is impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Jesus, y'all can put up point number one, y'all, if you can. There you go. Jesus is the proof he himself the person of Jesus Christ is the proof of the resurrection. The historical Jesus lived. And all of these witnesses and all of these people saw him and he, he came back to life. There are no bones. I mean, he's talking about David and saying, hey, you can go to his tomb. You know, it's amazing. I don't know if you've ever spent time walking through the cemetery across the street. It's not ours. The church doesn't own it. It's Jonesville Community Cemetery. But um, you can go peacefully walk over there and look at some of those tombs, man. There's some Civil War graves there. I've been here long enough, 27 years, that we've buried quite a few people across the street. 
when you go back to when I go back to Louisiana, you know, we, because of the water table and all that, you can't you can't bury people six feet under; they'll float. So you put them in 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 tombs, like the Bible was talking about, in sepulchers, in mausoleums, above the ground, or just slightly in the ground, but still partly above the ground. And when we go. Over there, I don't see it in a whole lot of places, but over there, everybody's got a picture. And it's got this little oval thing, and you can open it. It's got like a metal casing with a glass, and then behind it is a picture of that person. And, and you see who they are. You see the day they were born, the day they died. And then a lot of times you'll see a husband and a wife, and, and then you open that thing, and you can see the picture. And as kids, we used to go when we used to go and whitewash the tombs with my grandpa. And we would go and run throughout the cemetery and we'd look at all the pictures to see if they changed. You know. And I remember one of my buddies saying, I can't wait till my picture's on there. And I went, I can. <laughs> right? In other words, a tomb. We know that the remains a loved one is there or it's in the ground. But you can't go to a, a tomb to look for the bones and the remains of Jesus. You can go to what many believe to be the historical tomb in Jerusalem. The stone is rolled away. He's not in there. He's gone. He himself is the proof of the resurrection. The very fact that he said he would rise and that he did. The second proof of the resurrection is the prophecy of David. The prophecy of David, he says here, this is a, uh, a quotation from the 16th Psalm, verses 8 through 11. I'm not going to read it all because it's right there. We read it once here before. And then verses 25 through 30 talk about this particular passage. It's a messianic prophecy it's a prophecy about the messiah who would come and it 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 makes reference to the fact that he would overcome the the grave he says in verse 27 because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead you will not let your holy one see decay so not only do we have the person of jesus christ himself that proves that jesus is alive but we have a prophecy of David from the Old Testament talking about the Messiah, the, the, the one who would come. Uh, you know what's crazy? It's, it's kind of difficult to wrap your head around all of this. But many Jews, though they knew all of that, they, they couldn't put it together. They couldn't wrap their head around the fact that their Messiah would be a suffering servant and that he would have to die. They just couldn't quite see it. They went right past that and went to the fact that, oh, he's the con coming conquering king. And they missed this part of it. And that's why Judaism today doesn't accept Jesus as the Messiah because they don't believe he, that he was. But according to Scripture, the Old Testament Scripture talks about the Holy One would not see decay. And David prophesied about that. And here's what's amazing about that too. And Peter wanted to make sure People didn't confuse what was going on. He said, I'm not talking about David. 
David was a king. And he had a prophet's ministry, if you will. He was a prophet and a king. And God promised him that through his lineage, through his bloodline, <coughs> excuse me, would come the Messiah. And so David, maybe not fully understanding what it all meant, prophesied about what would take place here. So here we see the prophecy of David and everything that's, that, that, that happened and that God promised that he would have a descendant on the throne. So, see Jesus? Now we see this Old Testament prophecy about him, but here's the third thing in this sermon that is being preached right here to the Israelites that is pointed out. <laughs> you want to know? You see it. The proof of the resurrection, the witness of believers. Not just the eyewitness of believers, but the life witness of believers. You follow me? Not just the fact that, oh, I saw him. Because somebody could say, well, you saw, you think you saw him. You saw this, you saw that, you saw a goat. You didn't see him. But the concept here, he says here in verses 31 and 32, Seeing what was to come, he, meaning David, spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God raised, has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. <laughs> I saw the empty tomb, Peter's saying. I saw him walking on the beach. I ate with him. And he said, Peter, feed my sheep. He met with us and said, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then we saw him go up in the clouds. Man, we are witnesses of everything eyewitness-wise. But Peter is also reminding everybody that they are witnesses in life experience. In other words, Jesus changed their life Peter was a fisherman now, and he was scared at one point. Now he's filled with the Holy Spirit, and he is preaching the greatest sermon ever preached on the birthday of the church. God used Peter in a mighty way, and you're going to see next week when thousands receive Christ as their Savior that day. That's the witness. The witness of believers. Here we are thousands of years later, several thousand years, 2,000 plus years later. And we're still gathering to worship the risen Savior. We still celebrate. We sang songs this morning about His resurrection. We're still talking about Jesus working in our hearts and living in us. We are the witnesses of His resurrection. So, Pastor, man, I don't know if I got got some people I work with and, boy, they're skeptics and I just don't know how to convince them. It's not up to you to convince them. And here's the other thing, too. You don't have to go into some deep, deep theological dive where you, you probably don't, won't know what you're talking about that much. But, but revert back to this and say this, you know, sir, ma'am, listen, I, I don't know. I don't know, what you, I don't know what to tell you, but all I can tell you is this. I know what he's done for me. I know that he's alive. 
because he lives within my heart. I know that he is real because he changed me. I was a bitter and selfish and angry person. And now I'm saved and changed and sanctified and set apart for God's holy use. Oh, I still struggle too, and I still sin from time to time, but there's a difference. My want to within me has changed. No one can do that. My mama and daddy couldn't do it. My mama with a switch couldn't make me change my heart. My mama doing a helicopter whooping couldn't change my heart. You know what a helicopter whooping is, right? Not a helicopter parent. I'm talking about a helicopter whooping. And that is when she has a paddle or a belt or a switch and she's going sounds just like a helicopter and you turn and just like a rotor and all of that. And the whole time I'm yelling, it wasn't me, it wasn't me, it wasn't me. Mama couldn't change my heart. I met a girl at church. She got me interested in her. And she told me about Jesus. But she couldn't change my heart. It's not until I gave my life to Jesus Christ that my life was changed. And it wasn't until that resurrection power that overcame decay, that overcame death, hell and the grave, came into my life that I could change. You know, one of the things, I think one of the biggest evidences of your salvation, obviously, to change life, but listen to me, it, it, you, can, you can check yourself on this. How do you handle, as a Christian, when people wrong you? How do you handle that? I'm not saying you have to be a machine, because we're, we have emotion, and it hurts sometimes. And it causes us to be angry. I'm not talking about maybe immediate response to something in your mind or in your heart. And you, you know, we all can have those moments. But I'm talking about settle down for a moment. And can you cancel that debt? Can you forgive that person? Are you willing to let it go? See, that's a that's that's an evidence. That's one of the evidences that there's been a change that happened within you and you are a witness of the miraculous changing resurrecting power of jesus in you that's what peter was telling them he says man these people here what you're seeing is of god what you're seeing was was prophesied about joel what you're seeing david talked about and christ rose from the dead and we are witnesses of it we experienced it. We saw him. We touched him after he rose from the dead. We ate with him. We are witnesses. That's the proof of the resurrection. Finally, listen. The fourth thing. I get five, four main points and then one last thing I want to give you in, in closing. But the fourth thing is this. The proof of the resurrection is the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. The pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Jesus predicted and promised that he would do this look at what john 14 26 says about what jesus said about the holy spirit he says here but the advocate 
You know, when I first got saved, I'm from a Cajun culture. We speak French down there and in South Louisiana. And I remember when I first read that, I said, look, there's a French word, avocat. Avocat, an advocate, a lawyer, a defender. The advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things or will remind you of everything I have said to you, Jesus predicted and promised the Holy Spirit. And then if you'll look with me in John 15, 26 and 27. And when the Advocate comes, he says, whom I will send to you from the Father. He's telling him this again. The Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. So here Peter is preaching and testifying under the leadership of the Holy Spirit about the resurrection of Jesus. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning the pouring out of the holy spirit the fact that these so-called insignificant people in the world they weren't the religious rulers and when i say rulers i mean rulers when peter preached and he said evil men meaning the roman government and pontius pilate and his hatchet men literally did the deed and put him to death but you crucified him and he's talking to the religious leaders and their religious leaders israelites in that crowd that peter was preaching to and the very people that had the power to have jesus executed peter is now standing before them and preaching the truth straight to them and hitting them right between the eyes and in the heart saying you did this that's the evidence of the holy spirit and the power of the holy spirit in peter's life and the pouring of the holy spirit on these people is an evidence of the resurrection that jesus promised that after he left and after he rose from the dead and after he ascended he would send the holy spirit he will lead you into all truth he will remind you of what i've said <laughs> and here's peter just giving it all out just like jesus taught and so because of all of this the last thing i want you to see is this therefore he is the promised messiah look at verse 36 therefore he says always ask yourself when you see that word coach what is the therefore, therefore? It's a, it's a good reminder to say, oh, because he said all of that, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, again, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Now, next week we're going to preach on the rest of it. Verse 37, just give you a little glimpse. You've read this many times, but when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and to the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? He says, therefore, because of all of this, because he is the promised Messiah, I mean, because he is the one who defeated death, hell, and the grave, the proofs are there. Jesus' very life and resurrection. The pouring out of the Holy Spirit. The witnesses. The prophecy in the Old Testament of David. And the fact that he comes directly 
from the line of David, both through Mary and through Joseph. This is the one. This is the one the Old Testament talked about. This is the one. God has made him both Lord and Messiah. He is our Messiah, people. That's what he's saying to them. And the reason I wanted to spend some time kind of dissecting this message is because it's important. It's the first message, New Testament message ever preached, you know, New Covenant message ever preached after the giving of the Holy Spirit. And here it is. How does all that apply to me today? Well, you can choose to live your life your way. Doing it your way. And you get what your way gives you. Which is whatever it gives you. You might be able to get the American dream and make lots of money and build you a nice house and own lots of land and buy nice toys and maybe even be a little powerful and be involved in politics and influence people and push your money around and and so forth and so on. But one day there's a day coming for you. It's an appointment, the Bible says. It's appointed for men to die once and after this, the judgment. And one day you end up like the former who formed and planted his fields and he had such a bumper crop he had so much he didn't have room to keep it all and so rather than giving maybe a 10 percent portion of his field to the poor which was customary in those days he didn't he didn't give anything to the poor he built other barns so he could put all of his bounty in And one night he was just sitting there. Maybe he was sitting by the fire overlooking these vast laborants of of borns that he built, full of grain, full of the toil of his life. He was wealthy. He said, I have need of nothing. I've got everything that I need sitting right there, sipping on whatever he was sipping, drinking with his legs up and just saying, man, I've got it made. And then God said to him, you fool your soul will be required of you this night. And the man died that night. And then the Bible says, a man's life does not consist of the things that he acquires or that he has. That's what I spoke to those men about there in Georgia. There's something more to life than all of those things. It's called Jesus. I'm not trying to pour on this guy nobody would want their personal life to be all over the public but it is but you know the greatest uh, football player to ever play i mean sad really sad what just happened but he and his wife announced publicly that they're getting a divorce or they've already divorced i'm, I'm not sure I, I didn't read it i just saw the headline the rumors were flying around oh we don't brady didn't have a ring on oh she didn't have a ring and this and that and they have three children together you know th- these are people i don't care how wealthy and how famous they are They got everything that this world has promised for them. Riches and fame and fortune. Celebrity. But what's missing there? I don't know. 
I don't know what their total spiritual makeup is. I know some things that Brady has said about spirituality, and, and it's kind of, he's all over the place. What does it profit a man for him to gain the whole world but lose his own soul? So you can choose to go that way, or you can choose to believe the record of the Word of God that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Lord of glory. He made you and created you, and He has a plan for your life. He has dibs on what He wants for you in your life and how He wants to use you. So does that mean i got to be a preacher? No, only those whom he called. Because how would the rest of the world be reached, right? Most of you come across more lost people in a day than I come across in a given week. So he wants to use you right where you are. But what he wants is he wants you to give your heart and life to him and let the resurrection of, power, uh, resurrection of Christ and his power be placed within you. And your life will change, not only here on this earth, but for all of eternity. If He's Lord and Messiah, then I, I need to be like seriously paying attention to what He requires, what He wants, and what He wants from you and me. He wants us to obey the gospel. He's already done it for us. He's already given his life. He already defeated death, hell, and the grave. Actually, he wants to give you a gift. A beautiful gift. I love gifts, don't you? Now, I'm not, don't, don't, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that I endorse online shopping and Amazon and all of that. I know we, I'm waiting for Walker over there to go, out, go after me on that, you know, but in a good way, and I, I know where he's coming from, eBay and a whole bunch. I'm not, but you know what? When you do order something online, you buy yourself a gift, don't you? I like it. And somebody comes and delivers it to your door. And they ring your doorbell. And they say, your gift has arrived. Yeah. Just something useful? Oh, yeah. It's dough urine. Mm -hmm. Best in the world. It's some hunting gear. I like gifts. But the problem is, you can say that all you want. And then you go online and you open up your bank account and you realize that the company you bought that from took some money from you. It wasn't free. But the gift of salvation, you don't have to earn it and you don't pay for it. Jesus paid it all. And it's a free gift. It's the greatest gift you could ever have. all because of the resurrection of Jesus. Would you stand with me, everybody? Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that we get to experience and read this message that your servant Peter preached on this glorious day.
And it's a message that still lives today. It's alive because you're alive. So I pray first for the Christian that maybe is teetering between total commitment and superficial religion or whatever it might be. And I pray for that person today that they would find their absolute power and joy in the life-changing power of Jesus. And they would be the witnesses that they need to be. I pray for the person that's never received you truly. They may have, as a child, walked an aisle or even got baptized, but didn't. It, it, their life never really got changed. I pray for that person that has never received you as Lord and Savior. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, the proof of it, the proof in the lives of other people, they would hunger and thirst for that. And they would find out right now that they could drink from the well today and they'll never thirst again. They'll never be wanting again, ultimately, spiritually. So folks, as God has spoken to you, we are going to have an, our invitation. We have this stage here. We call it an altar. You're welcome to come and kneel and pray. If you want somebody to pray with you, somebody will. If you want to make your decision for Christ public, just come to me. I'm, I'm going to help you with that, and we'll, we'll tell you what you got to do and, and, and so forth and so on. Because Jesus did it all for you. We'll just help you. Put the exclamation point on it. I don't know how God's moved in you, but however He has, you trust Him. Maybe God spoke to you about forgiveness in your heart today. Today you're going to walk out of here free of that weight around your heart if you let Him. So Jesus will give you all of this. It's your church, your time, your moment in our lives. And I pray it in Christ's name. As our team leads us, worship, respond, do what God leads you to do.